If you've experienced the cycle of toxic relationships and you're sick and tired of feeling stuck, sad, and lonely, now is the time to heal and create your best life. In this podcast, you'll hear world-class toxic relationship recovery expert Stephanie McPhail sharing the support, guidance, and tools you need so you can be truly happy whether you're single or in a relationship. She is the real deal. I should know, she's my wife. Here's your host, Stephanie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxic Love Transformation. I am your host, Stephanie McPhail. And before I introduce our amazing guest, Seth, it's going to be coming on in a few minutes. I just want to just say really quickly how amazed I am. I am floored by the amount of people who have been putting their name in for a chance to win a VIP day with uh, myself and David. If you haven't done so already, I definitely recommend go ahead and Follow our podcast, write a review so that you can get your name in the hat also to get your chance of a fully transformational day with my husband and I. So go ahead and do that and then come back so you can listen into this amazing interview that I'm going to be doing with my friend Seth. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right in and share his great bio and then we're going to be able to bring him on. Seth Showalter is a dedicated and compassionate therapist in Columbia, Missouri. With a personal understanding of the transformative power of therapy, Seth is committed to providing a safe and accepting space for individuals seeking support and guidance. Overcoming the rigorous challenges of conversion therapy, Seth's journey towards self-acceptance has transformed him into a therapist who serves others with authentic empathy. Seth recently debuted his intimate memoir, Finally Free, A Surrender to Authenticity. This emotional narrative unearths his daily ordeal during conversion therapy. Each memory includes a detailed, rich reflection from the viewpoint of his now professional standpoint. It presents an intimate, deeply felt narrative of how conversion therapy intensely alters the human psyche. Unapologetically raw, his memoir holds the undeniable power of authentic vulnerability, shedding a raw and resonating light on the process and impacts of conversion therapy. Well, thank you so much, Seth, for coming on and hanging out with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So I have to say, like, I've heard of conversion therapy. Like when I was getting my degree in psychology, I remember talking about it. And that was like 20 something years ago. And I remember how it was already back then so negatively looked upon as that like, we already know that it was ridiculous to even think about that. Could you take us a little bit about, for anyone who has no idea what it is, maybe they're listening in and they're like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this before. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? And then maybe, you know, obviously we're going to start talking about some insight from it, but like, just maybe just share with what it is to begin. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, and it's not, I mean, you kind of have to be in it and and know around it to really even know what it is, but uh, for many people who are experiencing, as the church would put it, same-sex attraction or experiencing, you know, they're, they're realizing coming to terms with being gay, uh, when you receive messages from the church that tell you that you should not be, they have to have an answer for what to do in that situation. And so the church and, and many religious organizations have created this thing called conversion therapy. And this entire premise is about changing one's sexual orientation from gay to straight. Which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's just the thought that that's even like, oh, let's quote unquote fix this person. So so how do they propose that this is supposed to do anything? Like, have they shown any 
great results. Like, how is this continuing? <laughs> I mean, so beyond me. Well, so it's interesting because there was a major organization out there that was putting out this material and they were backing it up with research, but their research was biased and it was not legit. However, they put it out there and it was called Exodus International. Exodus eventually went belly up after the main guy in charge said, you know what, I realize I'm gay and I've and essentially put out a major apology to the LGBTQ community and, and Exodus went under. Now, just because Exodus went under doesn't mean that churches still are not operating from this perspective. I mean, I don't want to be political, but I'm going to say just one thing, okay? And I, I don't I don't want to be too political about this, but uh, our new House Speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, his wife provides conversion therapy. It was on her website. And when it came out that that he that she was doing this, she immediately took it down. So this stuff is still happening. and and it's really indoctrinated and couched in the religious perspective. So how, like, did you decide yourself to go into this? Did family decide this for you? I actually decided it myself. So, so this is the thing. Um, I felt called into the ministry from a young age and it's, it's listed in the book in, in great detail, but I was actually in a car accident when I was six years old and it was like a miracle that I lived. And so there was this message on my life ever since I was a young child that I was saved for a reason, which put all of these different things into the mind of a young person. Right. And as I started to grow up, I began to realize that I just, I was different than everyone else around me, and I had to come to terms with that. But I turned to the church as my way of finding peace and tranquility. It's where I knew that all the answers were. That's what I'd always been told. And so I felt called into the ministry to actually become a pastor and took several steps in that direction, including when I graduated from high school, I actually served a year internship at a megachurch in which case I was trying to earn God's favor. So it was through those experiences that I started drinking a lot because God was not working and I was not getting straighter, if that is such a thing. Um, but I was realizing that I was very much gay. And, and the amount of guilt, the amount of shame, the amount of self-hatred that was perpetuated through that experience drove me to to really drinking um, in an exorbitant way, and it was not healthy for me. So when I graduated from college, I went to my parents and I said, hey, my life is out of control and I need help. Um, not only do I realize that I'm gay, but I'm also drinking in excess. So my parents found a Christian drug and alcohol rehab facility that believed if God had the power to heal the alcoholic, he could heal the homosexual. So I received dual for one deal. Yep. Did you ever, in, in that process, did you ever feel like you wanted to end your life? Those were thoughts. Um, I never entertained them. Um, however, it is in the book that I, that was actually the, the pinnacle that actually led me to accepting myself. That was when I came to that conclusion that it was like, this is the road I'm going down. Mm -hmm. It's either go down this road and that's the eventual conclusion or I something has to change. And I hear that a lot. 
I hear that a lot from clients where it's, it's that decision that has to be made. I'm either going to be honest to myself and share who yeah. I am and stop trying to be someone else, or I can't continue living this way. And the thought, I mean, and that's why what suicide for the LGBTQ community is a pretty high number. Uh, yeah, it's like one out of four. Yeah. And like especially it's... when families don't don't protect and support their children, it just greatly increases the suicidal ideations or actually completed suicide. So how did your family, like once you finally were like, Hey, I did this therapy, were you still drinking after that? Or like, how did that, how did that go? Well, I mean, so like after the program, yeah, after the program, I, <laughs> after the pro, it didn't change very much yeah. after the program, I went directly into my master's program. And then at that point I was trying to prove that gay conversion therapy could work because it was like, I didn't want to have wasted, you know, three months of my life and thousands of dollars down the drain and, and going through that entire process. And so I went, jumped right back into grad school. And at that point was, went right back to drinking until eventually I had a grand mal seizure and it kickstarted uh, epilepsy, which goes back to my car accident from when I was six years old. But it wasn't, I mean, I, I had learned things that were helpful in the program. So like, don't get me wrong. There was definitely helpful things in it, but it was so indoctrinated in Christianity that it was hard to separate anything that was actually helpful versus what was religious. So it, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound like it fixed the core issue. The core no. issue of not being comfortable in your own skin and being worried about losing your family and, and everything else you had, you had worked so hard to build to begin with. If anything, it intensified it. So, so. how did your parents react? Like, did you, after that, you started drinking, you had a grandma seizure. Did you come to your parents and, you know, someone very special in my life, it was after her third or fourth suicide attempt that she finally shared that she was a lesbian and she was so worried about whether or not that would change the relationship. And luckily it didn't, it, you know, everything was better once that honesty came out, but that's not ev how everybody's story was. How, how did yours end up working? Well, it, so it's complicated because they knew from the get go, right? So like from me going into this program, they knew that I was gay, like they, <laughs> It was not a secret. However, it gets more intensified and it's mentioned in the book and I have his permission to talk about it. But my brother also ended up coming out as gay. Oh, so wow. so we're, we're talking, uh, you know, just me and my brother and my family and a very conservative Christian family in northwest Missouri. And we both come out as gay. Uh, that has a little bit of a punch uh, to the to the gut. And so my parents really struggled. For quite some time and, and in fact we'd even considered doing family counseling for a while but they were a little resistant to that but they've they've come around and i think you know in writing the book one of the things my mom has mentioned uh to me specifically is that she hates that she's being judged for the actions she made back then and not for the person she has become now and i i really want to emphasize that because they have changed and it but it's taken time it's really taken time and becoming used to the fact that life doesn't turn out the way that we always want it to. But that doesn't mean that we're not good people or that we're not lovable or that we're not valuable, because I think that they very much think that we are. Uh, why do you think difficult. why do you think the church 
you know, I, when I was when I was growing up, I, I was brought up Presbyterian, so mm -hmm. Protestant. And I remember it actually, it was, it was, so this is back in the nineties. And I remember, you know, my minister actually was very open to all kinds of people, everyone. And he got flack for that from other people in the church that were not happy with him being open for the LGBTQ community. He was like, he would be outspokenly sticking up for all of the people, all of God's people really, you know, right. and there was a lot of people in the church why do you think it got to that point? I mean, why is it now that conservatives are synonymous with not supporting the community? I, that is a wonderful, wonderful question. And I truly, I think it's Christian nationalism. And I think that it's us versus them. I think that there always has to be an, a, a them when it comes to Christians and it comes to conservatism. There has to be someone to blame. And if there's someone to blame, then it makes it easier for us to feel okay in ourselves. And I think that the LGBTQ community has always been a target and it's becoming more of a target. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, it's now more, we're now talking about it, right? The stigma is decreasing. And as that stigma decreases, their threat increases or the threat that they perceive increases. Uh, however, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the threat is, but I think it has to do with something in regards to their own personal, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't have the answer. Well, and you know, it's, it really, and I agree with you. I think that there's a us versus them type of thing that's going on. And, and, you know, I have a very hard time understanding. I mean, again, I was brought up in a Christian, a, a strict conservative Christian household. And I just had a hard time, and I don't know if anyone who's listening to this, how they feel about this, I'd love to hear your opinions, but I had a really hard time understanding how we were taught to love each other, but then there was this underlying, but not those people. And you could fill in yep. the blank, whatever those people were at that time, but it was, you know, then it, you know, that was kind of like, but only the Christians that are like us Christians, or, you know, it was like, it started to get really weird in my head of how we're supposed to, we were told that Jesus loved everybody. I mean, and he was a Middle Eastern man, but then all of a sudden there was like, but don't love this person and that person. And don't, you know, I just, I haven't been able to understand that. It's so beyond my comprehension of what, you know, Christianity is supposed to be about how it's morphed into this other thing. Yeah, it's definitely morphed into something else, and it has to deal with a lot of pride and a lot of fear, and I, I don't have the answer. And not that a pride, lot. the other pride. Exactly, one hundred percent. They will not go to my pride. Uh, <laughs> they would protest it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, not 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 that pride. So, what would you say? So, what was your like? Would, would your pivotal moment, was it like in the hospital and you woke up and you're like, I got to do something different or like, how, how was that? Honestly, it's a slow progression with me. I, they're really, you know, we, we like to talk about aha moments and I think aha moments can be amazing. They can be miraculous. They can be life-changing. However, when it comes to self-acceptance, it's really putting in the work. And that doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think for me, what I really found 
was finding other people in my circle who were accepting that that almost in a way spoke more than all of the negative that was going on. If I was able to find nuggets of acceptance and support in who I was, then that propelled me to move forward even against the negativity against me. Um, and that kind of was a catalyst um, and then fighting my own internal dialogue because part of this battle is not just what other people think, but what I think myself. And so, you know, I'm sure you have heard the word deconstruction, but deconstructing my Christian beliefs, uh, not completely. I have not deconstructed completely. I still hold to many of them, but I've deconstructed a lot of them. And that's what's really helped me in being able to accept myself in a way that allows me to breathe, understanding that some of this indoctrination and dogma is actually more harmful than it is helpful. And I agree. I think that's one of the things, you know, when I work with women after they've been through a divorce and they're they're looking to really discover who they are, I think one of the things that that is really important is for them to find their new people. Who are the yeah. people that you're going to enjoy spending time with? Who are you really? And then who is is fun for you to hang out with? I think so often we get so sucked into this belief that we have to make everybody else happy and we are the people pleasers that want to you know, fix everybody else. And we put ourselves on the back burner that we get lost there. We don't even know who we are anymore. Right. And, and I want to also add on to this that, you know, if we, if we're going to point out an aha moment, it's when I reached my, my end, like I started to see that things were not going to get better and that I, it was like trying to fit. And I always say this phrase wrong, so I'm going to get it wrong. So just correct me when I do this, but it's trying to fit around you know peg or peg and peg. round hole that's one of my thank favorite you things. yeah <laughs> thank you i get it mixed up every time but it, all right yeah trying to do that over and over and over and over and over again and it will not work you cannot fit a square into a circle a square into a circle or a circle into a square it will not work mm -hmm. no matter how hard you try and I kept trying and trying and trying and then using scripture and then using, you know, science and then using arguments and, and going back and forth from religious podcasts to to uh, psychologists, to counselors, to theorists, to theologians, back and forth, back and forth. And it just it, it came to a point that it was like, I would rather be alive than no longer here. I kind of mentioned that at the beginning of the show, but that's really what it came down to was that. You know, I think that if God does exist, which I think that he does personally, that's my personal belief. No one else has to hold that. But if he does, I believe that he would far rather I be alive than no longer here. Mm -hmm. And as a therapist now who literally works with helping people every day, I think I'm making a difference mm -hmm. and I think I'm helping people. And that's really all I, I, I would rather be helping people than dead. I, just truthfully. And, yeah. and that's what it, that's what it came down to. And that's why I wrote my book and why I've included so much in depth about where I was at that point. Because if you read this, it's going to piss you off. My book will make you angry because you get to read my actual thoughts and feelings when I wanted to change myself. Um, like it's in depth, but you get to see the actual like 
trauma that's done to the psyche of the individual. So we can start to decrease the stigma and actually help people understand that they are lovable exactly for who they are and that they don't need to go through this type of thing because it is hell. Okay. So what would you say to someone who maybe is in a similar position as you were way back then, you know, now that you're here on this other side, what would you tell maybe your, your former self or other people like you? Well, you know, one of the things I would really like to mention is that you are, it's okay to be where you are right now. And I just want to throw that out right now that this is a process and that this takes time. Um, and so the first thing I just want to throw out is don't be too hard on yourself and show yourself some mercy and some grace in this experience. And that this is a very confusing time and that a lot of the things you're feeling and thinking maybe don't make the most sense to you or you don't understand. And if that's how you're feeling, I want you to know that there are people who do understand and who can meet you where you are. And I would encourage you to start really looking into people in your community who are supportive people. But then beyond that, I would start really looking at what are some of the negative things that you are actually telling yourself um, about your identity or who you are as a person, and then actually start attacking those thoughts with a positive thoughts turn those around speak into being the truth and then making sure that you're connecting with quality people um, i think those are all really important things when you're in a place like i was back then you know i was drinking but i was drinking for a reason um and so there is something i want to i do want to read if i can go for it i'm just trying to find it really quickly um, here it is. So as a message for those who are reading this, who are gay or maybe experiencing same sex attraction, but don't want to be gay due to religious teaching, please know this. You have worth and value exactly for who you are right now. I can sit here and try to encourage you against trying to change your sexuality, but in the end, it's your decision to make. No one can make that decision for you, not your family, not your friends, not your church. Having said that, if there's anything I've learned through my journey, it's that surrender is required. Mine was not the surrender I had been expecting or had been handed down to me as the answer. Rather, the surrender was required was a surrender to acceptance, acceptance that I am gay and it's okay accepting that being gay is okay with my God and that he loves me and accepts me exactly for who I am. There was no fault in my design. My struggle did not originate with a lack of surrender to God. It was a lack of surrender to authenticity. And since I've surrendered to authenticity, I am finally free. My once fractured self is now whole again. I just want to throw that out there because this is a personal decision but you have worth and value regardless of what decision you make, mm -hmm. but know that there is a way out and there is a way to acceptance. And there are people here to walk with you. That is beautiful. So, and thank you for sharing that. I think that's really inspiring, you know, no matter where anybody is on any journey, you know, it's whether or not it's because they're questioning their sexuality because they've been in a bad relationship because they're not where they want to be in life in general I think that rings true for everybody. I mean, literally, how would you say, and just, you know, this last question, 
you kind of answered this, but I want to hear it directly. How do you mm -hmm. feel now inside of yourself? Tricky question. Oh, I asked the good questions. <laughs> oh, you do. You do indeed. Um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a constant battle. And I, I, I'm going to be honest. So I told you about the car accident that I was in in a, at age six, right? So nice. that's resulted in lifelong depression. So I'm a therapist. I know how to handle depression. I know how to treat depression. But sometimes I struggle to use it myself. And so sometimes those depressive thoughts and things like that can actually impact my own way of feeling about myself and, and about my identity. So it, it's a continual work, but I feel really good right now. I feel like I'm finally at a place where I can step out into being authentic and being real and being true. But that doesn't mean I'm always going to be there, right? Life has its ups and downs. The key is to continually be reminded of who we are and work towards that better self. And that's, that's what it is, right? Is Mm -hmm. We're not meant to live a perfect life. Who actually lives that? But to be authentic and appreciate ourselves for who we are and how far we've come really makes everything go a long way. It really does. It really does. Awesome. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today. You know, this is definitely different from what we normally talk about. So when you and I met and I started hearing your story, I was like, yes, I need to have you on the show. Different, but still so much similarities, like, like we said throughout this. And, you know, if you haven't been able to go yet and go check out his book, Seth, can you just remind us one more time? It'll be in the show, show notes, but just remind yeah. us one more time the name of your book and where they can get it. Yeah. So my book is entitled Finally Free, A Surrender to Authenticity. Uh, it's written by me, Seth Showalter, and it's available on Amazon. There is both a Kindle version and a paperback version. There will be an audiobook in February. So just letting you know, an audiobook is being worked on and, and built right now, and it'll be out here in a month or two. But it is available right now in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. Awesome. So go ahead, go check that out. I'm a big audiobooks person because I'm always doing stuff. So I can, I will be doing that in February. Again, Seth, thank you so much for showing up and hanging out with us and sharing your story and being so authentic and vulnerable with all of us. I think it's really going to help a lot of other people and everyone else. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Always have a blast and never forget you are way stronger than you realize. See you next episode. Bye everybody. So that's it for today's episode of Toxic Love Podcast. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your shows. One lucky listener every single week who subscribes and posts a review on iTunes will be entered for a chance to win the grand prize VIP drawing with Stephanie McPhail herself. Be sure to head on over to ToxicLovePodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Stephanie's gift and join us next time.